At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. Uh, with that being said, how many are grateful for the Word of God? Grateful for God's Word. Well. Today we get a chance to look at a passage. I'm just going to warn you up front, it's a tough passage. You know, some passages of Scripture, if you kind of think of it in terms of a meal, feels like dessert. Uh, you love it, you're excited, you want to hear it again and again and again. But then there's those passages that are kind of like vegetables. Today is going to be one of those vegetable passages. It's a tough one, but it matures us and grows us up. Today we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2 as we wrap up our series. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to answer the question, how do we remain faithful to God in the face of not just suffering, but in the face of unjust suffering? Has anyone by the show of hands ever experienced a season that you would describe as unjust suffering? You were suffering, but it wasn't because you did anything wrong. It was just because the person who maybe had authority over you was not right in their own hearts. It kind of causes me to think of one of my Old Testament heroes of the faith, Joseph. Anybody ever jo study Joseph's life? Uh, Joseph is uh, an amazing man of integrity, an awesome leader in the Old Testament. Genesis 37 through 50 captures his story. But around chapter 39, you hear about Joseph being sold into slavery uh, by his brothers and being bought by an Egyptian leader named Potiphar from Egyptian slave traders. Now, Potiphar was uh, the captain of the royal guard for uh, Pharaoh. And so he was a very important man and he needed servants. So he purchased Joseph. Joseph comes, but quickly Potiphar realizes this is no ordinary servant. This guy has extraordinary leadership skills. The Bible says that the hand of the Lord was upon Joseph. And so what Potiphar quickly does is puts Joseph in charge of his entire household. His entire operation was under Joseph's care. But there was one big problem, and it wasn't Potiphar, and it wasn't Joseph. It was Potiphar's wife. You see, Potiphar's wife was attracted to Joseph, and she wanted to have an unauthorized, unhealthy relationship with him. And Joseph would have none of it. He was a man of integrity. How many praise God for men of integrity? He was a man of integrity, and he didn't want any part of that relationship. And so one day she plotted a plan. She was going to try to seduce him, but he wanted to remain faithful to his master, not only on earth, but his Lord in heaven. And so as she tried to make her moves, he goes running out of the house in this heroic moment. But it was embarrassing, uh, no doubt. The public now knew that something inappropriate was going on. And so Potiphar's wife devised an even more mischievous plan. She decided she was going to blame him and say that he, Joseph, was the pursuer. Well, her husband believed her story and put Joseph, this man of integrity, in jail, not because of anything wrong he had done. And now he's suffering, he's in jail, but the Lord's hand was upon him. And even though he was in jail, he was still blessed because God was with him. My friends, even when we suffer for doing good, know that God has not abandoned us. He is still with us. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 
In 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 25. And in verses 18 through 25, what we're going to see is that believers suffer for doing good. We don't always suffer uh, just for doing the wrong thing. Certainly there are times when we blow it and miss the mark and we deserve uh, whatever punishment we receive. But there are also times when we will do good. Now, why do we have to preach this? It's because there's been a lot of bad preaching. Bad preaching that tells you if you just believe in God and you come to Christ and you have enough faith that you won't suffer at all. Well, my friends, not only is that the opposite of the truth of Scripture, it isn't even consistent with history. History is replete, and so is Scripture, with people who did the right thing but suffered. How many can think of some examples? How many can think of one great example? His name is Jesus. Jesus lived a sinless life. He was the perfect example of someone who suffered for doing good. What sin, what crime drove him to the cross? Surely not his own. It was our sins that drove him to the cross. It was our corruption of heart. So if our Savior suffered for doing good, we should not be surprised that we may be called upon to suffer for doing good as well. And how should we respond? Again, the key question today is, how do we remain faithful to Christ? Well, three ways that Peter gives us in these verses. First, let's look at verses 18 through 20, where Peter's going to make the argument that we have to find the grace in the suffering. There is grace in the suffering, my friends. There is grace in suffering. Look at what he says. Servants, Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is is a gracious thing. When, mindful of God, one endures sorrow, sorrows rather, while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for, for it, you endure... That this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Now, I want to first deal with this whole thought of servants or slaves, because some of you have trans, uh, translations that may use the term slave in the opening of verse number 18. We have to be careful not to uh, read uh, through 21st century eyes what's happening in the first century. The type of servanthood or slave uh, relationship that Peter's describing here has no analogy to North American slavery or what has been called chattel slavery or the transatlantic slave trade. No, this wasn't race-based slavery. This wasn't type of slavery that was uh, uh, abusive or kidnapping someone, forcing them against their own will. The Bible consistently uh, speaks out against that type of slavery. This is a different type of slavery. I'll explain it in just a moment, but I do uh, want you to make note of the passages that really speak against the type of slavery that was experienced here by so many. Uh, First Timothy is one of the great passages. You can read it when you have time. First Timothy chapter 1 verses 8 through 11. And there we see who will inherit the kingdom of God and who will not inherit the kingdom of God, who are considered to be unlawful. And around verse number 10, there's a group that are mentioned there that are called enslavers. Now those enslavers are people who took folks against their own will and forced them to be slaves. Yes, that was happening during uh, this time, and it certainly is happening 
happening even during our time through things like human trafficking and other grave sins. We need to be vehemently opposed to that because Scripture is vehemently opposed to it. But this type of slavery had to do more with economic situation, economic status in life. So what did you do in this uh, season of first century if you're a Roman citizen and you owe a debt to someone that you cannot repay? Well, odds are you would go to that person and say, I will become your bondservant until I'm able to pay off the debt. Now, historians tell us that was about 80% of the Roman population. And it included people with great education, people uh, with great jobs and professions, and they were supposed to be treated with dignity and humanity. And Israel had laws that spoke to this as well. In Leviticus, uh, we are told that if an Israelite were to strike a slave and even knock out his tooth that that slave goes free. Why? Because you weren't supposed to abuse these type of servants. The word in the Greek that's used here is doulos, which, which means bond servant. It was someone who ran a household like Joseph or maybe oversaw some other responsibility. And this was the type of uh, conditions that you found here. And Paul wanted to affirm even the humanity of the slave, and he does so in Galatians chapter 3, verse number 28. He says that there are neither bond or free. All are equal in the sight of Jesus. How many thank God for the justice of Scripture and the equity of His Word? Amen? But yet, in this situation, what Paul wants, I'm sorry, what Peter wants us to see is that all of us should know what it's like, though, to be under someone's authority. And here he continues his whole exposition, telling the elect exile how they're supposed to relate to leadership and to earthly institutions. Uh, the question would no doubt be, what does it mean to be a Christian? Does it mean to be subversive? Does it mean to rage against the machine? Does it mean that you stand against the forces of evil in society in a way that is not honoring to the character of Christ? No, it doesn't mean any of those things. What it means is that even when we stand for what is right, we cannot forget that we are Christians and that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but made mighty through God. So you'll remember that we talked about government and how Christians are, relate, are to relate to government, that we're supposed to honor not just those great governmental leaders, but even the ones that we aren't fans of because of the position and because we're honoring the Lord, always remembering that he is sovereign over all, honoring them, not because they're brothers and sisters in Christ necessarily, but because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we are his followers, we live differently. Now he gets to what would probably most be analogous to an employer-employee relationship. And anybody out there ever had a good boss? Again, many of us, right? And then we remember those other guys. How many have ever worked for those other guys? right? Now, I should be looking at my staff right now to see which one they raise their hands for. Hopefully, the right one, right? But we all know what it is to work for a bad boss. So how should we respond even to the bad ones? Look at what he says. Servants be subject or submitted to your master, to so those in authority over you, with all what? Respect. Everybody say that word with me. Respect. Now, this is where it gets tough, I would be okay if he stopped the verse there. But he goes on to say, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Have you ever read the Bible and wish you had a bottle of whiteout? 
just said, you know, Jesus, I'm just going to help you a little bit here. Surely this was put in by mistake. Let's just edit this part out. But no, this wasn't put in by mistake. This is the very word of God, the unjust. That word unjust means to be crooked or a cheat. Maybe you know what it's like to work for a boss who is crooked, no ethics. Maybe you know what it's like to have to be up under the authority of somebody that you feel like is a cheat. How are you supposed to respond to them? Well, the Bible gives us vegetables here and says it's going to build your muscles. You may not like it, but you need to eat it. And that is you're supposed to treat them with respect. Why? Verse 19, for this is a gracious thing. This is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. What is he saying? He is saying that when you uh, uh, treat them with respect, treat them with honor, even though they are crooked and a cheat and you're suffering unjustly, it's a gracious thing when you're doing it as an act of worship and obedience to God, not because of them but because of him. Now, what does it mean to say that it's a gracious thing? It means that it's a thing or an act that shows the grace of God to a watching world. And it's here that Peter wants us to remind, to be reminded of what the ultimate goal is of our earthly relationships. The ultimate goal of our earthly relationships is not for you and I to win arguments or debates, as tempting as that is. How many love winning arguments? Show me your hands. Because birds of a feather flock together. Let me just tell you, I love winning a debate. And it is hard for me to cut it off. I got to be honest with you. It is hard for me just to walk away, in particular when I feel that someone's done wrong. In particular, when I feel that someone is cheating or being crooked, I'm telling you, I have been wired to be a fighter. And many of you have been wired the same way to want to fight against injustice. And there's nothing wrong with speaking out against injustice. But even in speaking out, we have to make sure that our authorities, we treat them with respect. Why? Because of them? No, because of God. And because we want to win their souls. Don't ever get to the point where you feel like somebody is so evil that they're beyond salvation. Don't ever get to the point where you feel like somebody is so wicked that they cannot be redeemed. That is when we step outside of the gospel. No, this gracious act is done so that they, like us, can see the grace of God demonstrated through the character of someone who is deserving of maybe retaliation, but chooses instead of retaliation the way of love leaves us scratching our heads saying, what is it about you? Why is it that the, the worse I treat you, the more you love me? That should be our testimony. And this isn't just true for employer-employee relationships. Let me just say to all of you who are married to somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus or follow his word, that your relationship with Christ should not cause you to be more judgmental, shouldn't cause you to be more condemning, shouldn't cause you to be uh, more difficult to get along with. No, even those who don't love Christ that are in relationship with you should leave saying, man, they love me more. They're more tenderhearted towards me. They honor me more 
because of that relationship with Christ. I don't know if I believe in Jesus, but I do know that Jesus is making a difference in their heart towards me. Because as bad as I've been to them, they've been good to me. Why do we behave this way? It's because of who our Father is. Keep your finger here for just a moment. Look at Luke with me, Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verses 32 through 36. Again, I told you, this is a vegetable message. You don't have to say amen, just say ouch occasionally, and I know you're there. Look at verse 32 of Luke chapter 6. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. You see the logic of Jesus here? That if you're just loving those who are lovable, that doesn't demonstrate that your life has been changed. If, if you're just being good to those who are good to you, that doesn't show the power of Christ alive in you. Even those who don't know Jesus do that. Even somebody who's crooked is up for a good business deal. So there's no reward in that. But verse 36, or yeah, tells us this. I'm sorry, verse 35 tells us this. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. He tells us that if we behave like him, there will be a reward, that God will ultimately uh, reward our obedience. How many know that no good deed goes overlooked by our God? How many believe that over every square inch of created order, Christ declares mine? How many believe with me that he is always in control, that there is a boss over your boss, that there's someone who's in higher authority, even than the crooked cheat that you feel like is in authority over you? Praise God. But notice his character. And this is a part of God's character that we love when it's directed towards us, but we despise when it's directed towards our enemies. Look at his character. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. How many of you don't like it when ungrateful and evil people get rewarded? How many struggle with that? Again, you don't have to say amen. Just say ouch. Because we all struggle with that, right? We all struggle when people get rewarded that we feel like they shouldn't be rewarded. This is not fair. Why should they get rewarded? Why should they get a, a blessing? Why should they receive mercy and goodness? But before you get too riled up, remember two things. Number one, he's in control and he knows what he's doing. I tell that to my kids all the time. They want to coach me on being a dad. They want to tell me, hey, Dad, uh, you, you need to consider these facts. And I remind them every uh, once in a while, I know what I'm doing. Just calm down. I know what I'm doing. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. We can rest, take a deep breath, give him praise. Why? Because he knows what he is doing. But yet, 
There's a second reason why we should rejoice when he's merciful even to the unjust, and that is because we were once in that category, ungrateful and evil. Unless you forgot your track record, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, the just for the unjust. How many thank God that he is merciful to the ungrateful? How many thank God that he is merciful to the evil? Because if he were not, we would not be here today. Never despise grace and mercy because all of us have been on the side of needing that. The second thing that he tells us to do if we're going to honor Christ in the face of unjust suffering is we need to follow the ways of Jesus through suffering. Look at verses 21 through 23. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So very clearly, Peter is saying, your job is to follow in his steps. So if you ever get to the point where you say, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this. This isn't fair. I don't know how I'm going to survive under this. I remember being there. I remember being at a job where uh, the boss didn't like me. Now, now I got to be honest with you. Uh, when I first came out of college, I went and worked as a financial advisor, and I had a great boss when I first came out of college, and he was an older guy, a vet in the business. He uh, took me under his wings as a, as a mentor, and man, I was thriving. But then he got a promotion, and he went to another branch, and all I will say is that the new guy came in, didn't like me at all, and I like to describe it this way, and there arose a pharaoh who knew not Joseph. And he was not kind. And the question was, how am I going to survive this? How am I going to go in day after day, week after week? And the answer was, look to the Gospels. Look to the life of Jesus. Look to his example. And what was his example? Verse 22, Peter doesn't want to leave it a mystery. What is the footsteps of Jesus? What does it mean to follow him? Number one, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. In other words, when you see crooked people acting in crooked ways, you're going to be tempted to act crooked in order to overcome their crookedness. But being crooked like they're crooked doesn't make you right. Folks, there's this bad ethical principle that a lot of people have adopted in our generation, this whole thought that the ends justify the means. That whatever we have to do to get the results that we want, and if we think that the right results will be done by our bad actions, we've misunderstood the gospel altogether. A police officer, even if they know this is the, is the guy, this is the one, can't plant evidence unlawfully. Bad ethics doesn't lead to good outcomes, not in the kingdom of Christ. Christ is just as concerned about our ethics as he is about our outcomes. And the church said, amen, or ouch. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. He didn't let them change him. And we can't let the evil and the unjust change us. Verse 23, when he was reviled, he did not revile and return. So as they insulted him and did name-calling and mud-slinging, he did not respond that way, and neither can we. We have to continue to have the fruit of the Spirit, and I know it may seem to be unfair, but remember this, Jesus suffered unfairly, and on the other side of his obedience was our salvation. If we want to change the world, we're not going to do it by using crooked means or ungodly ethics. He goes on to say, when he suffered, he did not threaten. We should not threaten. 
but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Here's what Jesus never forgot. There's a judge over the judge. There's an authority over the authority. There's a boss over the boss. And who is that? That is God, who is providential, who is sovereign, who is always in control. And my friends, his will is not fragile. His power, his grip over human history has not been weakened at all. Let the nations rage. Let the evil think that they're getting away with their evil ways. But in the end, just like he did at the cross, he will prove that he is wiser than all the wisdom of men. How many thank God that his will shall be accomplished and he will accomplish his glory. We have to continue to simply be Christ followers. We have to continue to be the church. Our job has not changed no matter what those who are in authority over us do. Amen? Again, all of us know what it's like to have an unjust authority figure. I remember being in college and this professor was a staunch atheist and he was known for grading you down if you argued the Christian worldview. Can you imagine being in a semester where you know that you're going to have to work twice as hard to get the same grade all because of your worldview? And this was the reality for me and it's the reality for many college students. So what are you doing that? You do the work. You treat them with respect. You let God handle the rest. Verses 24 through 20. Five gives us the third and final thing, and that is to focus on the overseer of our souls. What do we focus on? Well, here we go. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. That should hearken our minds to Isaiah 53. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Notice that the suffering caused them to cling to Jesus even more. They ran to Jesus. They ran to the Lord, the shepherd and the overseer of their souls, even in the face of suffering. My friends, what should we do in the face of unjust suffering? Press into prayer. Press into praise. Press into honoring God. Cling to him more, the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, let me commend to you today to give your heart to him like those who have baptized today. I wouldn't want to traverse through this fallen world without a savior. And so if you're with us in service, as soon as we're done worshiping today, come to the front if you know that you need a relationship with the Lord or if this message describes you, there'll be friends here to pray with you so that you might experience the grace of God. And if you're online, I want you just to respond to the message now and just type in the comment area, connect. Just write that simple word and one of our team members will respond to you because we want you to know the love and the grace of our Savior. But how many today can say that he is faithful, that he is trustworthy, not only when things are easy, but even in the difficulty that God has proven himself to be worthy of our praise all the time because he is good. Amen. Everybody stand with me all over the church. I'm going to close in prayer and we're going to worship God as we end this service. I want to say thank you. Thank you for being a church that can receive not just the dessert of Scripture, but even the vegetables of Scripture. Not every church is like that. And so praise God for your receptivity to the Word of God. And I charge you to go and not just be hearers of the Word, but to be doers as well. Let's pray. Father, it's not easy. You know it. 
uh, when it feels like those who are leading us or authorities over us have mistreated us or have been crooked or unjust. Lord, we do pray that we would respond, not as those who don't know Christ, not as those who don't have hope, but that we would respond as Christians should, and that we would walk in love and grace, the same mercy that you have shown us. And on the other side of that, the Lord, we do pray that you will show yourself mighty and that even those who seem far from the cross like we did would come to know you and that we would be able to see revival sweep through our workplaces, through our homes, and yes, even through our nation. We ask this in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. We give you praise. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Come on and give God praise. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.